Okay, so uh, this morning we're going to get practical in our time together. The session is called Lord Teach Us to Pray, part one. And then our next session is part two. Lord Teach Us to Pray, part one and part two. But before we get started, how many of you worked on your memory verse? All right, several hands. Very good. How many of you know your memory verse? All right, very good. Who wants to do it? Who wants to come up front and do it in front of everybody? Not Everybody's not so eager now, huh? <laughs> Any volunteers to come up front and say it? Are you coming up, my good brother? Oh, no, you're coming up, aren't you? Where are you going? He's like, I'm leaving for this part. I'll be back in a few minutes. <laughs> volunteer, volunteer, come on. Anybody want to come do it? All right, we got somebody coming. Two people. No, one. Yes. Who needs translation? I guess you can't understand me if you need translation. Oh, come on up here. Come on, come on. Anybody else need to go back for translation? Okay, let's go ahead and do this. Ready? Let's be supportive of our good brother here. He's going to recite the passage for us. It's okay. We're all, we're all family here. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou hast not known. Thou knowest not. And it's found in? Jeremiah 3, 3. There you go. Very good. Give him a hand. Who's next? He broke the ice. I could feel him shivering up here. It was cold. Who's next? Come on. All right. Here we go. Whoops. Careful. Okay. Ready? Go. Jeremiah 33 verse 3. Call on to me. Call on to me. And I will answer thee. I'm sure you did great things, which thou knowest not. Great and mighty things. Great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. Very good. All right, give him a hand. Who's next? Anybody else? Okay, I'll try. You'll try? Come on up here. After hearing it three times, you should be able to do it. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. Very good. Give her a hand. Come on, you can do better than that. Very good. Okay. So there it is. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now, don't get lazy on this passage. You know, I, you know today's our last day with the workshops and you might want to, you know, tune out. Don't do that. You know, keep it going. You know, re re review the passage daily for a while and then start reviewing it weekly after you get more proficient with it and then you'll start reviewing it monthly and... It'll be amazing how God will just bring this passage to your mind right when you need it the most. So keep working on this passage. It's, it's a lovely one for us to keep in mind. Okay, without any further delay, delay, let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Loving Father in heaven, oh, what a wonderful time we've been having learning about the beautiful uh, advantages of prayer. Lord, you've taught, taught us so much. And we're here again today, coming before you into your presence, because, Lord, we just want to learn more. We know there's more to this, and that your word has lots to say. Thank you for those who have been working diligently to commit this passage of Scripture to memory. Bless each one of us, Lord, as we attempt to get it word perfect in our minds and keep it there, hiding your word in our hearts. So bless us now as we spend a little more time together, I pray, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Taylor Bunch, in his book, Prevailing Prayer, page 13, he was an Adventist, makes this just beautiful, poetic statement about prayer. He says this, Someone has said that prayer is the golden river at whose brink some die of thirst while others kneel and drink. 
Isn't that beautiful? Prayer is like a river that flows through our life. And some will drink deeply from it and will find strength. Others will die of thirst because they are not exercising the privileges of prayer. A couple of months ago, I was in Florida, in the United States. We drove down there for, um, for Thanksgiving, holidaying the U.S. that we have. And we stayed with my, my wife's grandmother, who is 99 years old. And I was walking through the house to go to the bathroom in the evening. And her bedroom is right across from the door going into the bathroom. And as I walked out of the bathroom, you could look right into her bedroom. I walked out of the bathroom, and I looked into her bedroom. It was the evening time. And I, I saw something that I will never forget, by God's grace, as long as I live. And that is a 99-year-old lady kneeling next to her bed, praying to her Heavenly Father. 99-year-old lady kneeling next to her bed, praying to her Heavenly Father. Isn't that a powerful picture? I couldn't resist. I had to take a picture of it. She has spent years reading God's Word, studying it from beginning to end. She wasn't a minister. She wasn't a Bible worker. She just wanted to know God's Word. And days, every day she comes to the Lord in prayer and spends time with Him before she retires for the evening to go to bed and to go to sleep that night. I just thought that was a powerful testimony. And she would, she would be very embarrassed if she knew I shared this picture with you. But I don't think she'll find out because you're not going to tell her, right? <laughs> little secret we have. But a beautiful little testimony here of uh, prevailing prayer in the life of this dear, dear woman in our family. So we're talking about how we can plug into the power of prayer <clears throat> in our time together. That's really what we're doing. We're wanting to tap into this source of power that we have in prayer um, so that it's not just a dead ritual, but it's actually something that does translate power into our spiritual lives. And to start off this, uh, this morning, <clears throat> we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And uh, the Bible tells us this. It says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of the, his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. What was the request that the disciples made? Lord, teach us to pray. Now, there's something interesting here I want you to keep in mind or, or just, you know, to have in your mind, and that's this. At this point in the Gospels, the disciples have already been ordained. They're ordained into the ministry. And after listening to Jesus pray, they say, Lord, what? Now, when you ask somebody to teach you something, by asking them to teach you, you are admitting and acknowledging that you are deficient in that area. Am I right? Why else would you ask somebody to teach you something? If you know it, you wouldn't ask somebody to teach you. But after the disciples uh, listened to Jesus praying and they compared it to their own lives, they realized they didn't have a clue what it was or what it meant to pray. And so they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples how to pray. Now, I have to be honest with you here this morning. There was a time in my life where when it came to the subject of prayer, unfortunately, my mind would just kind of shift into neutral and I would kind of coast because I thought I had, had gotten the information necessary that I needed to know how to pray. But then I started delving into it a little bit more and I realized how grossly inefficient my prayer was and how inefficient my knowledge of, God, of, of prayer was according to God's word. And so I kind of felt this situation in my life like the disciples, Lord, teach me to pray. Help me to understand how I can pray a, bit, a little bit better. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to get very practical we're going to learn how to pray more efficiently. We're going to look at some tools. We're going to look at four in the first presentation and four in the next presentation. We're going to look at some tools that come straight from Scripture 
on how we can have a more effective prayer life. Now, I'll just tell you ahead of time, when I learned these first four principles or first four tools, it absolutely revolutionized my prayer life and my spiritual life. So I'm just passing along a few things that I've learned from my time studying other people's writings and listening to them and talking to them. Some things that they've done according to scripture that have enhanced their prayer life. And I pray that it will do for you what it did for me. So we're going to look at four tools this morning as we answer this, uh, this call of Lord, teach us to pray. God is going to do just that in our time together. So let's go ahead and look at tool number one. And tool number one is this. Have a secret place to what? Have a what kind of place to pray? Have a secret place to pray. Now, Scripture tells us this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy what? Enter into thy closet... And when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret shall reward what? He shall reward thee openly. So the Bible tells us to have a secret place to pray. And, and the very word there, closet, in the Greek simply means a secret place to pray. And God is telling us to come into our closet, to enter into our closet, and to shut the door behind us, and there to enter into the time of prayer with our Heavenly Father. Do you have a place to pray? Well, maybe you are one of these people who say, I pray everywhere. But you know what? Before you can pray everywhere, you first have to pray what? Does that make sense? Before you pray everywhere, you first have to pray somewhere. Do you have some place where you meet your creator every single day? A secret place where you enter into that closet time together with him. Think about it. Where in your house, where in your room, where in your apartment can you have a secret place? And every single morning, that's where the Lord will find you, right there. For a long time, my secret place, I would sit on uh, this, 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 this uh, cedar chest that we have in front of our window overlooking our front yard, which is a very beautiful place to look. And I would sit there, and that was my meeting place to meet God. That was my secret place to meet Him. Now it's changed. I've got another place now that I meet with Him in the morning because it's more convenient there. But we need to have a place to pray. This is my spot where I meet the Lord every single morning right here. This is the spot. So that the Lord knows, so that you know this is the meeting place. Ellen White tells us this in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 84. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. She says, have a place for secret prayer. Jesus had select places for communion with God, and so should we. We need oft to retire to some spot, however humble, where we can be what? Where we can be what? Alone with God. That's the key. It's some place where you are alone with God. There's a story told about Hudson Taylor. He was a great missionary to China. And he was on a boat going down the uh, Yangtze River. And while he was going on this trip, the boat was heavily crowded with lots of people. And there was no place where he could get away and just spend some time with God in prayer each morning because it was just so crowded. And so Hudson Taylor, he wanted to have a place where he could pray. He realized the importance of prayer in his ministry. And so he prayed and he said, Father, please wake me up at just the right time when I can spend some quiet time in the secret place of prayer. The next morning before the sun rose, God shook his shoulder and woke him up. And Hudson Taylor went out on the deck of that boat and all the Chinese men that were on the boat were dead asleep. And there he had his sanctuary, his secret place where he met with the Lord and communed with his heavenly father. 
Jesus had many selected places where he would go and pray to his father. Up in the mountains, Garden of Gethsemane, various places. But before you can have many places, before you can have several places, you have to have one place where you meet God every single day. Where is that place? Think about it. Think about your house right now. Maybe you live out in the country and you have some place outside where you can go. Think of it. Where am I going to meet God every single morning? I'm going to make this spot in my house a sanctuary, a secret closet where I close myself in together with God every single morning. Have a place to pray. Great Controversy, page 210. The servant of the Lord says this. From the secret place of prayer. From the what place of prayer? She says, from the secret place of prayer came the power that shook the world in the Great Reformation. Where did the power come that shook the world during the time of the Reformation? From the pulpit? From the street corner? From nailing the 95 theses on the door on Wittenberg? Where did the power come that shook the world in the time of the Reformation? In the secret place of prayer. Do you have a secret place of prayer where you can come to God and through that prayer time together with Him, allow the Holy Spirit to shake the world as He shook the world during the time of the Reformation? Oh, that God's people would find a secret place to pray to God every single morning. So let's make this practical. We've got to be practical here. Where are you going to do this? Where are you going to have your secret place of prayer? I want you to put this into practice right now. And maybe you're thinking of some place in your house. Write it down in your notes so you don't forget it. Put a big star next to it and say, this is going to be the spot. This is where I'm going to meet the Lord. Be strategic about it. Remember, it's a place where it's just you and God. You want to be able to get away from other people so you can have some time together with Him. Write down in your notes where that spot is going to be. And when you get home on Wednesday morning, that's going to be your spot where you meet the Lord. Amen? Okay, so number one, we are told in Scripture and inspiration to have a secret place to pray. That's our first tool, our first line of defense in guarding and building and establishing a prayer culture in our life. Tool number two, have a time to pray. Have a what? Have a time to pray. Have a place to pray? Have a time to pray. Bible tells us in Psalms chapter 55 and verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my what? My voice. So we need to have a time to pray. Now, you might say, well, I pray without ceasing. Sounds so righteous. I pray without ceasing. But listen, before you can pray without ceasing, you first have to what? You first have to have a time to pray. You have to have a specific time that you dedicate in your day, each day, that you are going to pray with the Lord. Have a place to pray, have a time to pray. And that time to pray is consistent. Every single morning, this is a time that I pray. David suggests evening and morning. That's a good place to start. But start with one at least. Start with the morning time because David says, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. So start with the morning and then as you get proficient, you can add in the evening as well. But have a place to pray, have a time to pray. Now I want you to be practical here this morning. Think about a time. Think about your schedule. When do you need to be at school? When do you need to be at work? What is your schedule like each day throughout the week? And then think about, back it up from where you need to be, what time you need to be there, and then come up with a time that you are going to meet with the Lord every single morning. I'll give you 30 seconds to think about that. Think about your schedule. Think about where you need to be, what your day is going to look like when you get home on Wednesday or when you get back to school or back to work or whatever it may be. When you need to be there and then back it up a certain period of time, whether it's 45 minutes or an hour or half hour, however long you feel like the Lord wants you to spend, and then mark that as the time that you will meet the Lord every single morning. And then write it down in your notes. Put a big star next to it. This is the time I'm going to meet the Lord. Now, while you're thinking about that, I'll tell you a story. Several years ago, when I was interviewed to take a pastoral position, I'm telling you this in embarrassment, but I hope that it will be a warning for you. 
I was in a low part in my spiritual life, in my spiritual journey. There were a lot of things that had happened that were discouraging to me, and I had turned my eyes from the Lord. Unfortunately, even though I was a minister at the time, and I was not doing what I knew I should have been doing. And this opportunity came up for a transfer from my work in evangelism into pastoral work. And I went to the interview to be interviewed for this position as a pastor. And it was a great interview, lots of good questions. But towards the end of the interview, one of the people on the panel interviewing me asked me a question. And it's a very telling question, and it's a good question to ask any pastor. He asked me, Jason, how much time do you spend in prayer each day? If somebody were to ask you that, what would you say? How much time do you spend with the Lord in prayer each day? Now, we don't come up with a time because we want to feel proud that we can say, oh, I spend a half an hour, I spend 45 minutes, I spend an hour. No, 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 this isn't about us. It's about God. It's about communion with Him. So they asked me this question. How much time do you spend with the Lord in prayer? Now, as I mentioned, I was at a low point in my spiritual journey, and I wasn't spending time with the Lord in prayer the way I should. But after all, I was a minister, and don't, aren't ministers supposed to be praying? And so I came up with this evasive answer, and I said, well, I like to follow the Bible uh, counsel and pray, and I pray without ceasing throughout the day. Sounds good, right? The reality of it was I was spending little to no time in prayer. So sometimes we try to cover ourselves and hide under this praying without ceasing thing, and we feel like we have some sort of righteous you know, righteousness because we do that. But before we can pray without ceasing, we have to have a specific time of prayer that sets the tone in our mind, sets the frame of mind for the day so that as we move throughout the day, we will pray without ceasing. So have a place to pray, have a time to pray. The uh, servant of the Lord says this in Education's page 259. It was in the hours of solitary prayer that Jesus, in his earth life, received wisdom and power. It was in the what? In the what? Is that singular or plural? Have you ever prayed for more than an hour? Can you say that you've prayed for hours? The Bible says, she says, it was in the hours of solitary prayer that Jesus in his earth life received and wisdom and power. Where did he get wisdom and power from? Hours of solitary prayer. That's in his prayer closet. Having a place to pray. Let the youth Follow his example in finding at dawn and twilight a quiet season for communion with their Father in heaven. And throughout the day, let them lift up their hearts to God. Notice how she's, she's setting this principle here, that you can only lift up your heart to God throughout the day if you first find a time in the dawn and the twilight to have a quiet session of communion with the Father. You cannot pray without ceasing if you don't have a time to pray every single morning. That's what she's saying. You just can't do it. You might think that you're doing it, but you are self-deceived. Now, you might ask the question, uh, Pastor, how long should I pray in the morning? I don't know. I'm not going to even attempt to answer that because the Bible doesn't tell us. Uh, We see that Jesus spent hours in prayer. And eventually, it would be good if we could work up to that spiritual stamina where we could endure more than, you know, five minutes or ten minutes or fifteen minutes in prayer. I think that's ultimately where God wants us to be. You know, when you first meet somebody, your conversations with them are rather short. But the more you get to know them, the longer those conversations become. And the more intimate they become. And the more meaningful they become. And the more powerful and life-transforming they become. When you meet somebody like your spouse and you, you meet them for the first time. When I met my wife, we had very minimal conversations when I met her for the first couple of months. But the more we got to know each other, the more we developed a friendship, the more time we wanted to spend with each other talking to one another. Until it got to the point where we were spending hours talking on the phone together with one another. We had plenty of things to talk about. And it's only because we don't know God very well that we don't want to spend hours in prayer with Him. 
I wanted to spend hours in prayer time or hours in conversation with my wife because I loved her and I wanted to get to know her more. And the same experience can happen in our spiritual life. The greater we get to know God, the more time we're going to covet to spend with Him. And you're going to find that as you do this, you're going to be bumping back that prayer start time. You're going to be bumping it back earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier because you're just craving more and more and more and more time with God. Listen to this quote by E.M. Bounds, Power Through Prayer, page 33. I highly recommend this book. Highly recommend it. If you can get yourself a copy of this book, you will be richly blessed by E.M. Bounds' book, Power Through Prayer. It is absolutely a classic. He made this statement, no man can do a great and enduring work for God who is not a man of what? He says you can't do a great and enduring work for God unless you are a man or a woman of prayer. And then he goes on and he says this, And no man can be a man of prayer who does not give much time to... To what? To pray. So it's only great men of prayer that do great things for God. And you can only be a great man or woman of prayer if you spend a great deal of time in prayer together with God. Powerful, powerful concept. But you say, I'm not a morning person. How many of you are not morning people? You don't want to admit that, do you? I'm raising my hand because I'm not a morning person. I, if it were me, I would rather stay up late and, and get up late. But I know that that's not the way it should be. I'm not a morning person. But I want to meet my father in the morning each morning. And so if you aren't a morning person, I have a Bible po- passage for you that you can claim. It's a Bible promise that you can claim. In Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4, this is a beautiful passage of Scripture. It says this, Isaiah 50 verse 4, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to them or to him that is weary. Listen to this. Here's the promise. He wakeneth. Who wakeneth? Who? God. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the what? As the learned. Who does the wakening? God does the awakening. So if you're not a morning person and you have a hard time getting up or, 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 or you're, just, you're setting your start time earlier than what you normally do and, and you're, you're fearful that you might not be able to do it on a consistent basis, claim this Bible promise. Claim it. We're going to talk about promises in the next session together. But claim this Bible promise and say, Lord, you said, not me, you said, you said he wakeneth morning by morning. You said it. I'm claiming this promise that you will wake me up. Now listen to me carefully. It does not say that he will make you feel like getting out of bed in the morning. It does not say that you will bound out of bed in the morning with all kinds of energy. That your eyes are going to be wide open and you're going to be like, yes, here we go. It just says that he will what? He'll wake you up. And you're going to be groggy. And your eyes are going to be tired. And you're going to feel like just saying five more minutes. (laughs) Five more minutes. Incidentally, I forgot to say this uh, before, but when, when we think about having a place to pray, your bed is not a place to pray. I don't care who you are. Beds were designed for sleeping, not for praying. Amen? Some of us like the comfort of our bed, especially those of us in northern Michigan when it gets down to minus 15 degrees Fahrenheit. And the thought of getting out of those warm sheets into the cold of the room is just not very nice. I know it's hard for you to imagine this. And the thought of just rolling over and praying underneath the blanket sounds so delicious in the morning. And before you know it, you look at your watch and you say, my, it's been an hour and I haven't been praying. (laughs) And you say, Lord, forgive me. Beds are not a place to pray. Beds were made for sleeping. So that's not your place to pray, okay? So have a place to pray and then have a time to pray. So number two, our second tool is to have a time to pray. And we want to claim this promise that he'll wake us morning by morning, that he'll get us up, that he will wake us up, 
and that we will do the rest of it by getting ourselves out of bed and going into that place that we have set aside to pray. So tool number two, have a time to pray. Tool number three is learn to pray aloud where only God can hear. Say it together with me. Learn to pray aloud where only God can Now, this is kind of a strange thing. Some of these things that we're going to be talking about, these eight tools, some of them you're probably already doing. But nine chances out of ten, none of us here are doing all eight of them. So if, if you already have a place to pray and you already have the time to pray, fine. You know, just, 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 just count it as a refresher course. But if there are some of these things this morning that we're looking at that you are not doing, make sure you, you really mark that down in your notes so that you can incorporate it in your prayer life. So tool number three is learn to pray aloud where only God can hear. Listen to this. This is from Luke chapter 11, verse 1. We read this already, but the Bible says again. And it came to pass that when he was praying in a certain place, when he what? What does the word cease mean? When When he stopped, when it came to an end, when it was over. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, what? Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now, here's the question. How did the disciples know that Jesus had ceased praying? The context seems to indicate that Jesus was praying verbally. Listen, when you see somebody in prayer and they're, they're, they're quiet, they're not saying anything, you might be impressed by the fact that they are praying, but you are not impressed by anything that they are saying because you can't hear anything. Okay? But the disciples, they weren't impressed with the, 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 the position that Jesus took in prayer, but they were impressed by what Jesus was saying. And when the Bible says when he ceased, when he quit praying, when he stopped praying, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We don't know how to pray. When we listen to you, this is so beautiful. We don't understand what prayer is. Please teach us. Help us to know how to pray just like you are praying. So Jesus was evidently praying out loud here. He was verbally making his requests known to his heavenly Father. And in fact, in Gospel Workers, page 423, uh, the Sermon of the Lord says, Learn to pray aloud where what? Only God can hear. Learn to pray aloud where only God can hear. In the book Christ Object Lessons, I don't have this on the slide here, but Christ Object Lessons, page 140, uh, she tells us that the disciples, when they found Jesus, she specifically says that Jesus was praying out loud. Luke chapter 11 indicates that. She explicitly states, yes, he was praying out loud. So she says, learn to pray aloud where only God can hear. Now you might ask the question, How can it be a secret prayer if I'm praying out loud? Right? How can it be secret if I'm praying out loud? Well, the key is where only what? God can hear. So that's why we have to think about our place that we're going to pray. Where's the place that we're going to pray? Where we can pray out loud where only God can hear. That's why Jesus went up into the mountains. That's why Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane. That's why Jesus went out into the, you know, out into the outer parts of the city where he can meet with his Father in that secret place and he could pray aloud where only God can hear. And it just so happened this particular time that the disciples were eavesdropping on his prayer and they thought, man, we need to learn how to pray. Now, she goes on and she makes another statement. In Heavenly Places, page 84, she says this. That which is called praying morning and evening according to custom is not always fervent and effectual. It is with many a what? A what? Sleepy and heartless repetition of words. That's a pretty harsh way of describing most of our prayers. A sleepy and heartless repetition of words. I hope that doesn't describe your prayer life. It described my prayer life at one time. Just sleepy and heartless. She goes on. And does not reach the ear of God. What does she say about sleepy prayers? They don't what? She said they don't reach the ear of God. God does not need or require your ceremonial compliments. But he will respect the broken heart and the confession of sin. 
the contrition of the soul, the cry of the humble, broken heart, he will not, what? She says he will not despise it. Learn to pray aloud where only God can hear. So why do we pray out loud? Why, does he, why, why did Jesus pray out loud and why does Ellen White tell us that we should pray out loud? Have you ever noticed that when you're praying quietly to yourself, have you ever noticed that you end up repeating yourself? Your mind wanders and you begin to think about your to-do list for that day. And then you bring your thoughts back and you say the same thing again. And then your mind wanders off again and you say the same thing again. And then you kind of drift off to sleep for a few minutes because you're not talking when you're sleeping, right? You know, and, and then you wake up and, and you, you continue to kind of think this prayer inside of you. Now listen, there are times when you pray silently. I, I'm, not, I'm not denying that. But in our devotional prayer we are told to pray aloud. And there's a reason for that. When you pray aloud, it keeps your mind engaged. What does it do? It keeps your mind engaged. Why? Because you sound really stupid to yourself when you repeat yourself over and over again. Right? You know, when you, if you're praying out loud and you keep repeating yourself, you all of a sudden realize, I, I, this is, I'm sounding really dumb. I mean, I, I, need to, I need to switch things up here. I need to engage my mind. And so when we pray out loud, it keeps the mind engaged and it keeps me from repeating myself. I have to think about what I'm saying and then as I think about what I'm saying, I verbalize it with my mouth. Now you might be saying, well, I'm not in a place where I can pray out loud. I don't, have, I don't live in a house or in a, an apartment or anything like that where I can get away where there's no other, other person that can hear me. Don't let that be an excuse. Because every single one of us can whisper. Have you ever heard the song, Whisper a Prayer in the Morning? Whisper a Prayer at Noon? Whisper a Prayer at Evening to keep the heart in tune? You can whisper. You know, when we were kids, we were really good at whispering, weren't we? Whisper, whisper, whisper in somebody else's ear so that nobody else can hear them. And you're in a classroom full of people, and you whisper so quietly, and nobody can hear what you're saying except for the person that you're talking to in their ear. (laughs) Right? In a classroom full of people. If you live in a house or you're sharing your room or something like that, you can whisper your prayer so quietly that your roommate does not hear what you are saying. They just hear this, and they think you're crazy. <laughs> but we don't really care what other people think as long as we're communing with our Heavenly Father. Right? So, so don't let that be an excuse that I live in a place where I can't get away into a spot where only God can hear because every single one of us can whisper. Just think back to your childhood when you used to whisper to God or to, or to, to your friends or whatever it may be and do that with your Heavenly Father. Whisper a prayer to Him. Whisper a prayer in a quiet voice but form those words on your lips and let it take root inside of your hearts. Not a repetitious, repetitious prayer. You know, where they pray the rosary and they say the same prayer over and 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 over again. That just puts everybody to sleep. That has no form, no power. It's just, it's, it's a dead shell. That's not the type of prayers we want to have. We want to talk to the Lord as a friend. Okay, so number three, our third tool is to learn to pray aloud where what? Where only God can hear. Learn to pray aloud where only God can hear. So tool number one, tool number one, have a place to pray. Tool number two, have a time to pray. Tool number three, okay, are they all coming from scripture? Yeah, this is all biblical concepts that can revolutionize our prayer life. Okay, so number four, here's our fourth tool that we'll look at in this session. And tool number four is to learn to what? Learn to listen. Learn to listen. Listen to what the Bible says here in Psalms 83, 85, sorry, verse 8. It says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. I will what? I will hear, David says, what the Lord will speak. He will speak peace unto his people 
and to his saints, and let them not turn again to what? Folly. He says, I will learn. I will listen. I will hear what God is speaking unto me. Learn to listen to God. We don't do this enough in our prayer time. It's just kind of like a amen, and we're gone. That's our prayer time. We don't learn to listen. We don't stop. Ellen White tells us in Steps of Christ, page 84, or 94, she says, prayer is the opening of the heart to God as a what? Friend. How many of you have a friend that does all the talking? Maybe you are that friend. How many of you know people that do all the talking? A couple of you that can identify with this. They're just, they're incessant. They're just, they're like motors. And they just kind of keep going, verbal vomit all over you. And you're just like, ah, you know, when can I say something? You can't say anything because they're just go, 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 go. And they're, they're talking, 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 and boom, and then they're gone. <laughs> right? And you think, man, what just hit me? But this is how a lot of our prayers are. We're just, we're just like a motor. We're going, 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 and then amen, and we're gone. But the, Bible, but the Spirit of Prophecy tells us that prayer is the opening of the heart to God as a friend. What kind of friend are you to God? Are you a motor mouth? Or do you play tennis with God in your conversations? You know, tennis is kind of back and forth, back and forth. And fourth, I was doing a prophecy seminar one time, and there was this guy that was coming to my meetings, and it was everything he could do to sit and listen to me for an hour. Everything he could do. And after the meetings, he would come up to me, and he would ask me questions. But he wasn't asking questions. He was making statements. He would ask the question, and then he would answer the question himself. He would ask another question, and he would answer the question himself. And he would ask another, and it was just like, you know, he was just going, going, and, and, and talking, and talking, and talking, and talking, and talking, and talking, and, 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 and he would never pause to have a tennis match with me in the conversation. He would just go, 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 go. And then when the time paused long enough that I was able to edge my way into the conversation, you could tell by looking at his eyes that he wasn't listening to what I was saying. He was thinking about what he was going to say next. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like this. It's quite an experience. <laughs> and I thought to myself, he really doesn't want what he's asking for. He doesn't really want answers. He just wants to hear himself. I hope that's not your prayer line where you just want to hear yourself and you feel good because you put your time in. Listen, that's not the pur purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not that you've clocked in your 30 minutes of prayer or hour-long prayer that day. The purpose of prayer is to hear the voice of God. That's the purpose of prayer. It's a conversation with God. You're talking to Him so that He'll talk back to you and have some, some, some dialogue here. But too often we just carry the whole conversation ourselves We've looked at this text many times, but it's just so relevant. Psalms 143, verse 8. Cause me to? Cause me to what? Hear. Hear thy loving kindness in the morning. So David is saying, Lord, I want to hear your voice. Speak to me in the morning. We have a lot to say, but we are not good when it comes to listening to God. Lots to say. So here's what I've done in my personal prayer life. I'm just trying to be practical here. Not that you have to do it the way I do. You can do it however you want. But this is what I've done in my prayer life. What I do is I spend, as I spend time with the Lord in prayer, I build into my prayer time periods where I just stop talking and listen. Stop talking and listen. Or I stop talking and I open God's word and I read from it. And I say, Lord, speak to me through your word. And I listen, and I wait, and I listen. And I read a Bible passage, and I say, Lord, what does this passage mean to me? Tell me what it means to me. And I wait, and I listen. Does God want to talk to us? Yes, he wants to talk to you. He's so eager. You know, when, when, uh, when I uh, wake up in the morning and before I go to bed while well, I've been here in Malaysia, that, that's the time when I'm able to talk to my family. And so I get on FaceTime and, and, and it connects us across those thousand, thousands of miles, and all of a sudden I see my little girl's face. And I just want to talk to her. And she has so much to say to me. And I have so much to say to her. And we're having this great conversation back and forth. And she's smiling and I'm smiling. And we're having a good time. Daddy and daughter. That's what God wants to have with you every morning. He wants to have that time together bonding with you. Where he hears from you. 
and you hear from him. You know, there's a great story in the Bible. Wonderful, wonderful story in the Bible in 1 Samuel chapter 3. The young Samuel, around the age of 11 at this time, was uh, given by his mother, Hannah, to go live with priest Eli in the temple. And, uh, and while he was there, you know the story, um, he was laying in his bed one night, and he hears the voice, Samuel. He wakes up. He goes over to priest Eli. He says, here I am, for you called me. No, not me. Go back to bed. That wasn't me. He goes back to bed. Scratching his head, Samuel, picks up, goes to priest Eli, here I am, for you called me. No, no, not me, my son. Go back to bed. Man, I thought I heard something. Lays back down, Samuel, wakes up and he runs to priest Eli, here I am, for you did call me. The priest Eli in his sleepy state all of a sudden realized this must be the voice of God calling the young boy. And so he says, Samuel, when you hear the voice again, say, speak, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel goes back and he lays down in his bed. And I can only imagine in his 11-year-old mind the idea of God speaking to him must be just mind-boggling. And he waits there in the silence of the night. And he's listening, and he's waiting, and he's listening, and he's waiting. And then he hears the voice again. Samuel, Samuel. And he sits up in bed, and he says, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. He says six words. How many words? Six words. And after he says those six words, God speaks 103 words to Samuel. How many of you would like your prayer to be weighted in like that? Where you just say, just a little bit, and then you sit there and you listen to God tell you all these wonderful things. Of course, Samuel was a prophet, of course, but that doesn't, that doesn't minimize the fact that God wants to talk to us. Wonderful little story here of how we don't have to say long prayers to get God to talk to us. You know, it's almost like we've got to convince God to come down and talk to us. You know, we've got to bend his arm so he comes down into our prayer closet and, and speaks to us. No, Samuel just said, speak, Lord, for thy servant, hear it. And then this long conversation ended up happening where God told Samuel all kinds of things that you wouldn't think would be spoken to an 11-year-old. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Listen, when God answers that phone, he's ready to talk. When God answers that phone, he's ready to talk. Little Sonny got sick. And the doctors told his parents that he needed to move to a drier climate where he could get his health back. And so the parents asked the doctor, where should we, send our, where, where should we move to? And the doctors advised them to move to the state of Arizona. If you've never been to Arizona, which you probably haven't, it's a very dry warm, arid climate. So they decided that for their son's health that they would follow the doctor's advice. And so they packed their bags and they got ready to move out to Arizona. Now, Sonny and his parents, they owned two dogs. One dog was Daisy, that was the old dog, and then there was another dog, it was a younger puppy. And the parents decided that they couldn't take both of the dogs with them out to Arizona. And so, being logical parents, they said, well, Daisy's old. She's going to die. So let's take the young dog. It'll live longer. Now, little Sonny had a, a very close attachment to his little dog. And he cried and pleaded with his parents, please let me take Daisy with us to Arizona. And his parents said, nope, this is it. This is what we're going to do. They had some neighbors that liked Daisy, and they had talked to the neighbors about taking Daisy to be their own dog. And they said, sure, we'll do that. When you move, we'll take Daisy. It'll, she'll be our dog. We'll take good care of her. And little Sonny was beside himself. He couldn't think of moving all the way out to Arizona without his pet friend. So he learned something in Sabbath school called prayer. Uh, called prayer. He learned something about praying. And he decided he was going to talk to the Lord about this. And so he got down on his little knees and he begged and he pleaded with the Lord, please, dear Jesus, please, 
Please let me take Daisy. Let us take Daisy with us to Arizona. She's my good friend. I love my little dog. I don't want to leave her behind. I want to take her with me. Please, dear Jesus. And he prayed, and he got up from his, his little knees, and he told his mama, Mama, Daisy's coming with us to Arizona. She had a bit of astonishment in her face. She's like, how do you know that? She, he said, because Jesus told me that Daisy was going to come with us. <laughs> what? Yes, I prayed. I prayed, and God said, Sonny, you will take Daisy with you to Arizona. And just then, there was a knock at the front door. Mrs. Fox, Sonny's mother, went over and opened the door, and it was the next-door neighbor who was going to take Daisy. She said, Mrs. Fox, I'm so sorry, but somebody has offered to us the dog that we've always wanted, and we've decided to take this dog Therefore, we will not be able to take Daisy in when you leave. I'm sorry about that. I hope it doesn't inconvenience you. And she said, okay, close the door. Daisy went with them to Arizona. Now, shortly after they got to Arizona, Daisy went off into the woods and inadvertently got shot by a hunter in the mouth. She came limping back to the house, death warmed over. It didn't look good for her. And little Sonny remembered how God answered his prayer. And he thought to himself, God didn't answer this prayer only to bring her out here to die. And so he got down on his little knees. And in his heart of faith, he prayed and he said, Lord, please heal Daisy for me. Don't let her die. I need her to help me get better. And he prayed and he asked God to heal his little pet. And after he got up off his knees, Daisy got up, walked over to the feeding bowl, began to eat and drink water, and she made a complete recovery. A couple of months later, Mr. Fox, Sonny's dad, was diagnosed with spinal meningitis. If you don't know anything about it, it's deadly, especially back at that time. He was taken to the hospital. It's contagious, and they didn't want anybody else to get spinal meningitis. And so they took him to the hospital, and Mrs. Fox and Sonny weren't able to really see him. And it wasn't looking good. The doctors were painting a grim picture for Mr. Fox. And so one evening, around 11 o'clock, Mrs. Fox and Sonny were in the house, and they were kind of distraught about what was going to happen to Daddy, to their husband, to her husband. And so Mrs. Fox came up with this brilliant idea. She said, Sonny, God seems to be answering your prayers. Why don't you pray for Papa? Little did they know that at that very time, the doctor pronounced Mr. Fox dead. They pulled the sheet over him. The color went out of his face. Pulse wasn't in there in, in, in his arm anymore. They were washing the, the instruments that they had used to take care of Mr. Fox while he was there. He was dead. That was it. The doctor said to the nurse who was attending them, he said, listen, why don't you stop by the Fox home tonight and give the news to Mrs. Fox? It would be better if she hears it from you rather than getting a phone call. She said, okay, I'll do that. Little Sonny didn't know anything about this. He had a big heart of faith, and he said, okay, Mama, I'll get down. I'll pray for Papa. And so he gets down on his knees, and he begins to pour his little heart out as only a little boy can. And he begins to pray and say, Lord, please bring Papa back. Please give him his health. Please heal him. We can't live our life without him. And while that little boy is at home praying for his Papa, as the doctors are in the hospital talking about the sad reality of Mr. Fox passing, one of the doctors, for some unknown reason, he slips his hand underneath the sheet and he grabs Mr. Fox's wrist and the color goes out of his face. The other doctors see that he looks a little weird and, and, and one other doctor comes over on the other side of Mr. Fox and slips his hand underneath the sheet on the other wrist. And sure enough, the heart was pounding in the chest of Mr. Fox. They pulled the sheets back, the colors back in his face. And God performed a miracle and brought back 
another Lazarus from the dead because of the prayer of faith of little Sonny. Isn't that a powerful story? Sonny developed at a very young age the ability to hear the voice of God. And that ability to hear the voice of God made prayer even more powerful in his life. He knew that there was a God there because God answered his prayer about Daisy coming to Arizona, about Daisy getting healed. And if God did that, surely God would hear his prayer about healing his papa. If only we would have been able to, if only we are able to develop the ability to hear the voice of God, how much more powerful prayer would become. But we have to pause to hear that voice. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 512. This quote was made reference to in our Q&A session. And the question is, how do we hear the voice of God? How is it that we hear the voice of God in our prayer? If we pause, what are we listening for? Are we listening for a verbal voice? What is it? There are three ways in which the Lord reveals His will to us. To guide us and to fit us to guide others. Three ways that God speaks to us. How may we know his voice from that of a stranger? Here's what she says. How shall we distinguish from it from the voice of the false shepherd? God reveals his will to us in his word, the Holy Scriptures. His voice is also revealed in his what? Providential workings, as we've seen in the story with little Sonny and his dog Daisy. So two ways. What are the two ways? Number one, in his, in his word, the Holy Scriptures. And number two, what? Through providential leadings or providential workings. She goes on. And it will be recognized if we do not separate our souls from him by walking in our own ways, doing according to our own wills, and following the promptings of a what? Unsanctified or unsurrendered heart. Until the senses have become so confused that eternal things are not discerned and the voice of Satan is so disguised that it is accepted as the voice of God. That's a dangerous place to get at. We don't want to get there. So we want to develop this skill of hearing the voice of God. Another way in which God's voice is heard, this is the third way, is through the appeals of the what? Holy Spirit making impressions upon the heart which will be wrought out in the character. Three ways that God speaks to us. Through His Word. Through what? Providential workings, and number three, through the what? Appeals of the Holy Spirit. You know what the appeals of the Holy Spirit is? That's your conscience. It's your what? Conscience. When your conscience tells you that you've done something wrong, that's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you. When your conscience tells you, I should really be doing this instead of that, that's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you. When your conscience tells you you shouldn't have said that to your parents, that's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you. That's the voice of God speaking to us. So when I have my prayer time in the morning, when I have my devotional time in the morning, my Bible is as much a part of prayer as it is of Bible study. Because I'm told in inspiration that this is how God speaks to me. He speaks to me through His Word, through providential workings, and through the Holy Spirit. And so I have my Bible there, and I'm praying, and I'm asking God to speak to me as I'm reading His Word. And He speaks to me as I'm reading the Bible. You blend the two of them together, and you all of a sudden start having something happen in your prayer life that you've never experienced before. So, we have four tools that we've looked at so far. Number one, we have a what? Secret place to pray. Number two, we have a what? time to pray. Number three, learn to what? Pray aloud where only God can hear. Number four, what? Learn to listen. Learn to listen to God speaking to you in that still small voice. These four tools have radically transformed my prayer life, and I pray that they will do the same thing for you as you develop the skill of praying effectually. So what I want to do is this. As we conclude our time together here uh, for this first session today, I want to break up again into our little prayer groups of two. Not three, two. Let's do two together. And I want you to pray and ask God to help you know how to effectively implement these four tools in your personal prayer life, okay? So just not, don't get specific because you're praying together. Give me general, but ask the Lord to help you know how to implement these four tools 
in your personal prayer life. So go ahead and split off into groups of two, one, two, and then I will have a final closing. Now listen, when you're done praying, please be quiet. Let's, let's maintain the reverence of that prayer time. No conversations, just be quiet, and then I will close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for hearing our prayers, for they come from sincere hearts. Oh God, we want to be more effectual in our prayer. We as the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Father, you've given us these tools that we've looked at this morning. But what good, of, what good is a tool if it's not used? It just sits in the tool bag and rusts away. Lord, may these be tools that we become very proficient with. Every day, having a place to pray, a time to pray, to pray out loud, to listen. Father, may we become skilled in our prayer closet. And may it grow to be something that we yearn and long for every day. Lord, I pray that we will come to a point in our spiritual journey where there's not enough time in the day to spend as much time as we would like in prayer with you. Help us to, as Jesus, be able to find evenings in prayer, nights in prayer, and be just as refreshed from that prayer time as though we had slept for eight hours. Oh God, we have so far to go but yet we thank you that you are so patient with us and that you just stay right beside us, leading us each step of the way. Bless us to this end, I pray, Lord. And use us, I pray, to build up your kingdom through the power of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.